to the next webinar uh, called Logic and Religion, organized by, uh, by the Logic and Religion Association. Uh, as you all probably know, and our main goal now uh, is not only to, to organize these excellent uh, webinars uh, each month, this is our uh, today's scope, of, of course, uh, but our main aim is to organize the third and later the fourth uh, Congress, World Congress on Logic and Religion. Uh, and we hope that this time it will not be postponed <laughs> anymore. Uh, so we will meet in India in Varanasi uh, in November uh, 2022. So everyone is invited. I will. Uh, I would like to remind you that you can still join. Um, in a moment, I will send you on chat uh, the link to the website of our third Congress. Uh, so you can learn there that you can still uh, submit even uh, a paper um, because the, the event was postponed. So also the deadline for, for submissions is postponed too. Um, so feel invited. And today I would like to introduce uh, our chair, Stanisław Krajewski, uh, who will introduce uh, our guests for today, uh, Professor Wolenski and Professor Odifredi, um, and an excellent and exciting topic for today. So, Staszek, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let me just mention that the uh, technical director of our group is muting everybody except the, you know, the, those who speak. So don't be surprised that you are muted. Uh, so we have two very, very outstanding and accomplished scholars, Jan Wolenski from Poland and uh, Pier Giorgio Odifredi from Italy. And let me say a few words about them. And they will speak in this order uh, about, about uh, the topic, which is what are the arguments for atheism. But I will say some remarks before they begin. But first, let me introduce the speakers. So both are very important and very active in, in their respective countries and very active as in the public scene, also politically in many ways. Jan Wolenski, he studied law and he turned uh, to logic and philosophy and since then he has been the main uh, expert on the so-called Lvov-Warsaw School of Philosophy and he's sort of uh, con the, one of the main figures continuing the work of, in philosophy in this spirit. And he was working for many years at the Jagiellonian University, the oldest university in, war in Poland and a very active and honored in many ways and a member of the most prestigious scholarly bodies in Poland, like the Polish Academy of uh, Sciences and another academy, a scholarly academy based in Krakow and also a member of many international bodies in analytic philosophy and groups and organizations. He is the author of hundreds of papers and several dozen books, including 
logic and philosophy in the Lvov Warsaw School, and uh, recently semantics and truth, which is uh, published by Springer in 2019, uh, which uh, shows his main interests, and also uh, more to the topic of our uh, today's seminar webinar. Limits on of unbelief, a book published in Polish 15 years ago, uh, but this is something that he will probably be mentioning today in English. Now to uh, turning to Pier Giorgio Odifreddi, uh, he uh, is a mathematician and much more than that, also a philosopher and logician, and he is the author of a very important uh, monograph, monographic treatment of recur classical recursion theory. Uh, he was uh, teaching at the University of Tori Torin Torino, Turin, and also in Cornell, at Cornell and other universities, uh, and has written also dozens of books, not only on mathematics and logic, but also on science, culture, and other topics, uh, also very active in public life in Italy. On religious issues, he wrote, among others, The Gospel According to Science, which is Religion and Science. The, another book, uh, 2007, was Why We Cannot Be Christians, let, and let alone Catholics, which shows his own attitude, although he had, you know, a personal connection to Catholic education uh, as a young person. And finally, let me mention a book, which is a, an exchange of letters with the then Pope Benedict XVI. And this exchange is called Dear Theologian Pope, Dear Atheist Mathematician. And so they are both, you know, very uniquely uh, prepared to speak about the topic, which is uh, arguments for atheists. Before I give the floor to the speakers and then to everybody for to continue our discussion, let me uh, uh, mention some points. So I think that the main argument for atheism is just that theism is not supported by good arguments. But as you know, many religious people would say the same. Yes, the theistic approach is not supported by good arguments, but this is why, that is why faith is needed. So, uh, so from, from the same situation, from a purely rational standpoint, when we need rational arguments, it uh, would be support you know, the argument against these, but for the, from the other point of view, it's just an argument that shows that faith is needed and theism is connected to faith. Uh, I would uh, also say that, uh, that even uh, atheists, you know, although they differ, perhaps they share some assumptions not the assumptions as theism uh, assumes, but some other assumptions. Maybe one of the aims of a seminar like this one could be to analyze those uh, uh, assumptions that are 
hidden presuppositions of the atheist approach, uh, which can perhaps be a problem for atheism. But anyway, the question is, can a philosopher and a logician say more than just say that there are no good arguments for the existence of God? If, if it's um, something more can be said, then we can benefit. Uh, also, uh, uh, I would also say that in general, atheism is not very general, usually. Most often, I think, atheism means that somebody is revolting against the religious outlook that he or she has inherited or is dominant in the society where one is living. And it's not necessarily the same sort of atheism in each case, because it depends on the surroundings and the inherited conception of God, concept of God. If so, those atheisms are different. And so it means that uh, that you know attacking one one may miss the other approach to theism or to atheism uh, of course it's been for a long time established that there are no absolute proofs of for the theism that the, the this is about existence of god but I do think that it still does not mean that there are absolutely no arguments for. But this is another point. This is not for today. For today, we are looking and trying to analyze arguments for atheists. Uh, but my last question to the speakers and to the, all of us is, uh, if we have arguments for atheism, do, does this also mean that we have arguments against the need for spirituality? If so, okay, that's one thing. But if not, it means that spirituality or spiritual needs are something that we should see, you know, as something serious. And, uh, he, and that question is whether those arguments for atheism also are arguments against anything in the realm of the spiritual quest or is it also weakening that quest okay so so we have this field and i will ask uh, uh, first professor volensky who is a little bit senior i mean senior in terms of of uh, age uh, and that's why i'm asking him first to speak and then professor odifredi Professor Jovalensky, your floor is yours. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's a difficult question because uh, ateis and teis are, so to speak, contextually related. And it is very difficult to argue for one or second without addressing to each opposition. Is no uh, uh, exceptional situation because, in general, in philosophy, is the same. So, if we, for example, discuss or argue for materialism, so it is impossible to avoid 
uh, allusions to, to idealism and, and, and reversely, and almost every philosophical problem is uh, similar. I personally, uh, I am interested in just in philosophical aspects of case and atheism. However, the important consequence of, of this uh, contextuality is that uh, both parts formulate or develop arguments positive that is directly supporting the position, for example, that God exists. Uh, in the case of atheists, this is much more difficult. I will return to this problem uh, for a while. And negative is more frequently directed against uh, 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 opponent. So I will concentrate on the arguments for atheism related to what you can say proofs or just uh, 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 proofs as deductive inferences and or justification by empirical data data taken from science or even ordinary life and uh, as you men mentioned contextuality of this debate requires to take to say once again to account arguments proposed by the opposite party in this case by theism so the controversy concerns, uh, formally speaking, a sentence one, God exists, for instance, God as proposed by Christianity or, uh, or uh, similar uh, religions. And this is uh, accepted by tastes and rejected by atheists, but this is a preliminary formulation. And consequently, uh, the 80s asserts the second sentence, God doesn't exist. Now, uh, uh, because uh, negative statements cannot be proved except some special cases, I mean, deductively proved, uh, for example, except showing that they are contradictory or internally contradictory or contradict some accepted assumptions, axioms, for example. The onus probandi, the burden of proof belongs to the taste. The atheist in this context can only point out the taste proofs are incorrect. Now, first remark, general remark, uh, according to rejecting this uh, sentence, God exists, uh, it, is, it is possible to say, firstly, I do not assert this sentence, but without, without asserting uh, the second sentence that God doesn't exist. Is a part uh, of position of agnosticism. Uh, 
Usually it is supplemented also by statement which says that I don't assert that God doesn't exist. That is not a deeper analysis of the relation between theis, atheis, atheism, and agnosticism requires to com combine with uh, uh, them with such epistemic operations as uh, I know, I believe. Uh, I, uh, I take a simple course and identify atheism with two. However, I will make some remarks. Uh, about belief and knowledge uh, 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 at the end of my talk. And second remark, some atheists claim that the concept of God is inconsistent. However, it can be answered uh, that the standard concept of consistency does not apply to God. For instance, logically speaking, that, it, uh, that he, his theory is paraconsistent. I will not enter into this question. I think that all parties can stay with classical logic. Uh, in particular, atheists can argue uh, for this position which was appealing to inconsistency of God. However, I agree that uh, divine properties are difficult or even impossible to be full fully expressed by ordinary or scientific concepts. That is another, another question, a question of understanding. Perhaps we return to this problem in the discussion. Uh, so, uh, more, more, more detailed logical analysis. Let, let us agree that uh, the term God, name God, is a proper name, since the atheist argued that this name is empty, uh, he or she cannot use one, the sentence God exists, because it has no uh, standard form or, 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 of, of further logic. Uh, so we can uh, transform into there is no such X that X is God, which can be understood uh, either as uh, there is uh, no X such that X be belong to is a belong to the denotation to the set being a denotation of the predicate God, or there is no X such that X is identical with God. And the second statement expresses monotheism, but the former does not exclude uh, uh, polytheism. For simplicity, I'll simply comment on is God without considering it is so-called general name or common noun or uh, or uh, proper name. Uh, now, the, the advantage of this uh, new formulation is that it doesn't depend on the assumption that exist is a predicate. This, uh, this was a Kant's argument against uh, ontological 
proves our God existence. So it is a, you know, I think that if the discussion uh, assumes minimal set of, of, of presuppositions, it is much better. So let, uh, I, I will uh, discuss this framework of standard, uh, standard logic. So uh, logically speaking, the atheist says that the predicate is God is empty and taste says something opposite, it is not empty. Now the position of atheist, uh, 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 atheist claims to, 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 to the taste, please demonstrate that the predicate is God under a, a given explanation of God's properties, but it's not a problem of, of atheist to uh, realize this claim is not empty, that there is uh, X such that X is, uh, is God. As we know, several proofs of God's existence were offered. One the important point is that a taste cannot prove, deductively prove his statement as negative statement uh, for obvious uh, reason that uh, negative statements are particularly negative existential statements are not proved except uh, the case of being, being contradictory, but so we must prove that they are contradictory. For example, if Atei says that God's properties are inconsistent, it must be proved in, 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 in a way. Now, as we know, we have cosmological and ontological proofs. There's no time to, to enter into, into details, so only few remarks. Uh, Let's uh, uh, consider briefly uh, one of Aquinas proves uh, that now the premise every being has a cause doesn't entail that there is uh, the cause of all beings. Yes, and uh, uh, it can be logically demonstrated, of course. Uh, 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 taste can say, well, but uh, I use also some uh, additional premises, for example, taken from cosmology, which exclude uh, infinite causal chains. However, you know, the question is moved to another uh, region, namely whether cosmo cosmological models admit first cause or no, or, uh, or, or don't need that. And the second problem is that we must demonstrate that this, or, or justify at least that this first cause is identical with God. What is not, uh, 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 not easy. Typically, as far as I know, the taste exaggerates the role of cosmology and simply say that Cosmology implies that they must be transcendental, uh, extra world 
calls. Highway cosmology, as far as I know, doesn't claim something like that. I, even if some uh, um, cosmologists say that, well, the model, standard model with, uh, fer with fer first peculiarity is, uh, is, uh, is correct or, or not. The same situation is this premise, all beings are contingent. It's very easily so, even via logical square for modalities, that this statement doesn't imply that there is a necessary being. So it was probably this argument was based on confusion of two kinds of of contingency. Now, much, much, uh, much uh, uh, difficult problem, uh, serious problem is with ontological proof. Uh, they are much more interesting from the logical point of view. Uh, however, all ontological proofs from Anselm to Gedel says something that, uh, 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 like that. Because God is necessary being, or a necessary or the necessary being, necessary being exists, then God exists. However, the problem is, is proving that God is necessary. So it is an important uh, premise. And if we uh, do that, or if the proponent of ontological proof does this uh, uh, job, so it must use first order model logic and some principles which are uh, they, their logical status in unclear. For example, uh, Gödel's rule or Leibniz rule. So inference from A is true to the conclusion that uh, every truth is necessary. It is a special premise which is, which is not obvious. And uh, as uh, Sashek said, to sum up, consequently the atheist says to, to the case, because you do not prove that God exists, I assert that God doesn't exist. Of course, this conclusion uh, does not preclude that the satisfactory proof can be given in the future. However, there are arguments that such a proof uh, is difficult. But atheists uh, atheist can claim this is what, what is now po more positive, that the language of theology is radically different from the language of science. So uh, it is dubious uh, whether proof or empirical justification can be formulated in, in, in such a language. In particular, it seems that proper properties of God must be radically different uh, uh, that beings from this our world investigated by science or 
uh, accessible by ordinary experience. Uh, so uh, embedding the concept of God into cosmology looks as combining two radically incomparable languages subjected to complete different modes of experience. This opinion is not dependent on the assumption that the language of God is meaningless. I would like to stress this. I understand this language that can criticize, criticize. Maybe I don't understand to the completely. I can criticize logic of this argument. So I don't share the view of logical empiricism that everything that we say about God is simply meaningless because it's not empirically stable. Uh, however, uh, to, to, to use uh, the ancient saying, uh, res at principia venit and depends on many meta-theoretical assumptions about language, about logic, about consistency, inconsistency. Uh, and so on, and one must decide whether, for example, these two languages are comparable, if yes, in which region and in which uh, cases are incomparable. So this famous, this famous uh, uh, slogan that Fides Querens Intellectus is very from, far from being uh, uh, obvious. Now, uh, the atheist uh, uh, should answer several objections of the theist. I mean, I still say in uh, problems which can be formulated by, by logic. For example, one is uh, problem is uh, was stated by Dostoevsky and brothers Karamazov. A famous uh, statement, if there is no God, everything is permitted. And this is one of arguments that if an atheist is correct, so morality is impossible. But this, it's fallacious ar argument, bad argument, because it uh, violates uh, Hume's principle that is doesn't imply old. So, this argument is sound if we demonstrate that God something ordered, but it must be decided on the basis of, for example, sent books, religion, and contacts between God and human beings, and so on. So it is not obvious that God something ordered, legally or morally, one reason is also because various religions make various claims on this uh, topic. Uh, so when this is a question, in which way we can choose uh, the proper answer. So I, uh, 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 now another question and stated by Stasek was whether a secular view, purely secular view, justifies uh, a morality of natural law. Of what it is another 
story, but uh, I can, as a lawyer, say that uh, legal systems don't need to be justified by God, goodwill. And uh, now, uh, so uh, the next point is that uh, uh, that, the, that it seems that ta the taste cannot know whether God exists under his standard meaning of knowledge as a true justified belief. But something similar can be said about the status of the position of atheists. Why? Because uh, according to atheists, the concept of God, of the main God, can be is explained by attributes or properties of God which, which are transcendental or supranatural. So of course, uh, 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 atheists can criticize, uh, but his positive view concerning transcendental God is difficult to be formulated. It's a reason that position of atheists is mostly uh, negative. I know that so-called new atheists will not agree with this position. However, uh, uh, I think it is also this new atheist is based on a meta-theoretical assumption that the concept of knowledge is uh, taken from science, particularly natural science. If we make such assumption, so of course the, 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 the further argumentation is very simple because really by assumption science doesn't speak about uh, about uh, about God. Now, uh, uh, taste can yet say, well, but I am justified by my faith. The atheist might answer, okay, but I am not epistem epistemically uh, obliged to share your your faith and eventually at invoking faith moves us to, uh, to a different epistemic level than that associated with science. Additionally, uh, it is worthy to remark that the case very frequently confuses two concepts of believing namely beliefs based on scientific knowledge or ordinary knowledge and beliefs based on religious faith. In the case of Christianity, we can very easily identify uh, when it started, when uh, uh, Augustinus said about uh, vera religio, true religion. So, uh, historically speaking, uh, terms like pistis, belief or faith in Greek, and fides in ratio were not necessarily connected with religion. 
And Pistis were contrasted with Latreia, which was a religion of the ceremony, and uh, in Latin, Fides with Ratio. So Augustinus combined these two, uh, two uh, concepts. So, uh, if so, we should distinguish, I believe in God because my religious faith dictates that. And I believe in God because my religious faith dictates that. But there are, you know, two different meanings of, uh, of religion. Uh, he mentioned the difference of two languages, religious and, uh, and uh, scientific is related to the uh, difference in two kinds of believing. It is the old theory two magisteria uh, or two kinds of truths, so-called Latin averroism. Uh, claim that, that there are two not overlapping is a discard is a problematic point that not overlapping at all but partially overlapping not overlapping and i came to the end so the entire reasoning consists in epistemic, rational, but without any superiority. Rational is not an evaluative term, but only defined like in Poland, for example, by Kazimierz Ajdukiewicz, anti-irrationalist, namely that based on uh, ordinary or scientific means of com communication and uh, 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 reason. So I don't, uh, or this position doesn't, doesn't deny that religion, uh, uh, case or religion has no reasons or ground, but they are psychological, sociological, maybe moral for uh, other, other people. Uh, uh, of course, atheism, uh, contrary to agnosticism, for example, strongly assumes naturalistic point of view. Now, I didn't prepare this topic, but a brief answer to Staszek about spirituality. I see no particular advantage to say that similarity is imposed by God. It is difficult to explain spirituality in purely secular terms. However, experience, ordinary experience shows that atheists are not devoid of spirituality. So there's empirical argument. So I, to my spirituality, to doing my duties, to believing in values, I don't need the help of God. If someone needs, requires such a justification, I say, okay. However, there is a problem how to solve conflicts. Okay, thank you very much, because now I think we should move to the 
second presentation. Professor Odifredi. So first of all, thank you so much for uh, inviting me here. Uh, I have to uh, make a disclaim, first of all, uh, namely uh, I, I am or have been a mathematician, but certainly I'm not a philosopher. So <laughs> I can talk about uh, the topic today, you know, only from the point of view of, uh, of the layman, so to speak. Although I have a, a strong interest in the, in the subject since I was a child, actually mostly when I was a child and when I was an adolescent. And then I lost interest and only in, uh, in more recent years, uh, I uh, rediscovered, so to speak, the, uh, the interest, probably because I'm going backwards, you know, <laughs> so I'm approaching the end, you know, and uh, we know that approaching the end is, uh, you know, becoming like a child uh, again. But first of all, uh, I would like to explain what to me, you know, not, not in a philosophical sense, you know, so just in, a, uh, in a, an intuitive sense, uh, what uh, atheism is. Uh, to me. Uh, somebody said uh, already today, probably both of you, that uh, there are many kinds of uh, atheisms, namely uh, there is one atheism for every religion, you know? so, namely somebody could say, you know, I don't believe in that particular God. But those are imperfect notions of uh, atheisms, uh, so to speak, you know, they're relative notions. Uh, I prefer to talk uh, or to think in terms of a perfect notion of atheism, which is uh, not believing in any God, right? And uh, the best reason I see for uh, this kind of perfect uh, atheism is uh, simply that uh, when, we, when we're born, uh, we're born naked, so to speak, you know, but literally in the sense that we have no clothes, but also uh, metaphorically uh, in the sense that we have no ideas. And in particular, we have no ideas of God, right? So uh, every child, you know, when he's born uh, is a perfect atheist. He doesn't believe in any God. And then many people during the, most of the people, perhaps, I don't know, you know, majority, perhaps, most of the people, uh, they acquire a faith, which is usually, as uh, again, you know, as has already been said today, is usually the faith of your, your, your parents or your relatives, or at least, you know, the state in which you're born or your culture, and, and so to speak. Uh, and this is, to me, uh, already uh, an argument for, for atheism, because if you were born in a different state or in a different time or in a different family, you would probably believe in different God. <laughs> and so, I mean, that, that, that's not a very good reason that you believe in a God simply because somebody taught you to do it, right? And uh, it seems to me, you know, that uh, my attitude toward religions is exactly that. Those are cultural uh, expressions, they're uh, social expressions, uh, they, they, they all belong to, uh, they, they have a place uh, to, to speak uh, scientifically, so to speak, by using just uh, uh, scientific terminology, uh, they have a place in space and time. It depends on where you live and when you live, right? And the notion of God changes even inside the, uh, a, a particular specific religion. I think that what we, uh, the, the idea that we have in Jesus Christ, for example, since we're in Europe, right? And uh, we're both uh, uh, in, in Catholic, uh, at least formally Catholic countries, that is Italy and Poland, right? But uh, Jesus Christ, you know, was taught differently in uh, at the beginning of the century or a few centuries ago, for example, in the Middle Ages, 
not to speak about what Christianity was uh, in Palestine uh, at, the, at the beginning of, uh, of the story. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, uh, when, when people ask me, for example, uh, were, were, do you believe in God? And, so, and some people actually do sometimes, you know, and during your lifetime, uh, probably all of you have been asked this question. My first reaction is not to say yes or no, but to answer back, you know, so we, which God do you mean, you know? And then if you tell me the God you, uh, you intend, right, with your question, then I can say probably, most probably no, right? But uh, not necessarily. So uh, it might come as a surprise that even an atheist could say yes to the answer, uh, if you believe in God, uh, if the, uh, the, the question is specified in a, certain manner, in, in a certain way, so to speak. For example, uh, do, do we believe that uh, there are truths, for example, or not just absolute truth, but at least, you know, some kind of truth? Do we believe that uh, there is something that transcends us, right? Well, well, of course, you know, it depends on the meaning of transcendence transcendence but uh, certainly you know i don't believe you know that that, that, that i'm the end of the of the story so to speak right i believe i belong to uh, to a race for example i belong to uh, in, in the sense of a human race right i'm an animal right so i belong to life in a certain planet right i belong to the universe and so uh, the notion of transcendence has many layers right and when somebody says, for example, you know, that, uh, uh, I mean, what is science after all? If you don't believe that uh, there is a truth, right? Uh, and then uh, it wouldn't make any sense to look for this truth. And science after all is just uh, the idea, the, 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 the trial of finding some truths uh, around you uh, regarding, of course, you know, the world that uh, in, in which we live in, world in, intended in, 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 as a universe, not, not just, you know, the, uh, the small world uh, even of the earth, right? So I think that the uh, scientific quest uh, in a certain sense uh, can be considered as a religious uh, quest or better since we use this word, you know, as a spiritual quest. I remember that uh, when Einstein was, answered, was asked the question whether uh, science uh, could be spiritual in a sense, it was uh, at a meeting, a uh, Congress on religion and science. So, I mean, that was the appropriate uh, place to, to answer this question. He actually said uh, pretty boldly that he thought that uh, not only there was no contradiction between science and spirituality, but that uh, for, for, for what he saw around him, at the time, and I think even more today, you know, he saw that the world was so materialistic, was so involved with questions uh, that uh, had, had nothing to do with spirituality, that the only people that he, that he thought uh, would actually be interested in spirituality nowadays would just be the scientists. And in a sense, you know, this is a, to be a, a very good uh, an influence uh, answer. That is, uh, in a sense, you know, science is probably today the only quest for what time ago, you know, times ago was uh, was called the spirituality, right? So uh, far from from being contradictory, the two notions, uh, scientific truth and uh, spirituality, I think you know they're they're just complementary. And and today, certainly, the, the many religions, and I think uh, Ian already said it uh, in, in, his, uh, in his talk, uh, many religions don't, don't, don't seem to have any spirituality at all, you know, 
when, uh, when take the Vatican, for example, which is the, 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 the closer example that I have here in Italy, you know, they're involved uh, in very materialistic uh, enterprises, you know, banks, for example, you know, and, uh, and all sorts uh, of, other, of uh, other quests, right? And uh, many, many times, you know, I think, you know, that when I hear a priest speak or, or even a pope, you know, for, for that matter, you know, uh, it seems to me, you know, that, that all that is very far from spirituality. And conversely, when I hear uh, many scientists that think, for example, uh, to, an uh, questions, uh, to answer questions like the origin of the world, uh, the origin of life, uh, the origin of consciousness, all those questions were uh, in the past, philosophical and religious questions. But nowadays, you know, we just consider them as uh, scientific questions. And the answers that science tries to give uh, are much deeper than those given by religion. Because for example, those three main questions that I just quoted, namely the, uh, the, the, the birth of the universe, uh, the birth of life and the birth of consciousness, uh, many religious people would, uh, would have an answer for, all, for, for, for the three questions, which is just the same answer. Uh, the universe exists because God created it. Uh, life exists because God created it. Consciousness exists because God created it. You know, it's the same answer that incidentally doesn't answer anything. You know, there's just a name, you know, you, 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 you call the mystery uh, using another mystery. Uh, and actually, this is what uh, a Polish writer once said. Stanislav Lem, that uh, I think he, def he defined God, you know, the substitution of uh, uh, something that you don't understand with something that you understand even less, right? So it's a very bad, <laughs> bad way of answering uh, philosophical question or questions or metaphysical questions. Now, uh, since I just uh, spoke the, the bad word to me, at least, you know, that is metaphysics, you know, I would like to say that uh, my attitude, for example, for what is worth, uh, 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 towards atheism is not just a, a refusal of, uh, of religions. Uh, namely, for me, religions are just one example of a much more broad uh, concept, which is metaphysics. And uh, I consider my atheism as a profession of faith against uh, every kind of metaphysical notions. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, science in general and uh, uh, mathematics and logic in particular uh, have proved or disproved that some metaphysical ideas uh, are, are either inconsistent on one side or at least undefinable, uh, ineffable, one could say uh, in theological terms uh, on the other side. Take truth, for example, which of course, you know, is something that uh, many religious people uh, often uh, uh, try to identify with, uh, with God. Uh, for example, Jesus Christ, you know, he presented itself, you know, as being uh, the way and the truth. You know? La verità e la vita, we say in, uh, in Italian, right? Well, uh, uh, we have a Polish uh, logician, Tarski, who proved uh, using the methods of God that, that truth does not exist, or at least, you know, the truth is not definable inside a language. So you have to, to get out of the language to talk about truth. You can talk about relative truths. You have, uh, you know, for, for each level of the, uh, of the language, of the hierarchy of the language, you do have partial truths, but there's no absolute truth. 
or things, for example, in physics, the notion of reality, which is another one of those big metaphysical words. You usually uh, identify metaphysical words because they have a capital letter at the beginning, right? So, and instead, you know, when, the, when the, there is a small letter at the beginning, you know, they don't belong to, to metaphysics. So there are many truths with, with, with the uh, lowercase uh, t, but there is no truth, you know, the capital T. And I was saying, you know, even in physics, the notion of reality has been disproved in a certain sense, because if you define it uh, uh, sufficiently formally, uh, as Einstein, Podolsky, and Rosen did, well, then you can actually prove, you know, that reality does not exist in, uh, in that term. Or democracy, for example, again, you know, with a capital D, there's a theorem by Arrow, Kenneth Arrow, uh, who got the Nobel Prize for Economics for this theorem, that disproves the existence of uh, democracy uh, if you uh, assume that democracy has a minimal set of properties that uh, we all would consider to be necessary for uh, the concept to exist, right? So uh, there is this quest, which is an anti-metaphysical quest, uh, it seems to me, especially which is a very typical of the last century, the 1900s, right? And it is a quest which goes against metaphysics in general. So uh, just, to, just to repeat, you know, Tarski, for example, or uh, Einstein and Bell, uh, or uh, Arrow and so on, you know, they all go in this direction. And that's a, a profession of atheism in the sense, in, in this general sense that I was trying to, uh, to describe, that is uh, not just related to the uh, metaphysical notions of religion, but in general, you know, all, uh, all metaphysics. Now, uh, of course, you know, this is talking about, you know, my, uh, my particular view of, uh, uh, of uh, atheism. But uh, if one wants to, uh, to follow a bit, you know, the, uh, the, the, the steps that uh, Ian already took uh, half an hour ago, uh, it's interesting to see uh, the proofs of the existence of God that have been proposed uh, during the, uh, the history, at least of the Western uh, uh, culture. Uh, there, there have been proofs also in, in some Eastern uh, philosophies uh, or, uh, or the theologians, if we want to call them that, right? But uh, I mean, we could just uh, hint briefly at uh, St. Thomas's uh, proofs. Now, uh, that's very easy to, to, to disprove those proofs. First of all, uh, the main argument would be that he gave five principal proofs or ways, uh, as he called them, right? And uh, I mean, they have nothing to do with the, with the notion of God that any, any believer would actually have, right? I mean, if you, if you ask, you know, somebody who goes to church uh, in, a, in our countries and say, do you believe in the first cause or uh, in the last uh, goal, you know, the, the last end. I mean, nobody would actually identify those notions with Jesus Christ or even with the idea of God that they have. So, uh, I mean, you can, you can certainly try to prove the existence of the first cause if you want, you know, but then, I mean, you prove something that has to do with philosophy and not with religion, which are two different things, you know, it's a, it's a concept, an interesting concept for, for that matter, you know, or even the ontological proofs, the uh, Anselmus's proof, uh, that's, you know, we all know, you know, it's nine, 900 years that logicians, first theologians, and then uh, logicians are struggling with uh, 
uh, with their proof, you know. But if you, if you ask somebody, you know, that says, do you believe in God? Yes. And I define God, you know, as, you know, somebody who can uh, say something or somebody uh, of which we cannot think anything bigger, you know. I mean, I think that the reaction of a believer, you know, would just be, well, it's good for you, you know, but that's not the God that I, uh, that I believe in. You know? So those proofs, you know, they certainly do something. But they don't prove any uh, existence of, uh, of, of or sorry, they don't prove the existence of any God that uh, any believer would actually identify as such. And the interesting thing is that it's not only uh, 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 missing the target, so to speak, but there are also proofs which are very easy to dismantle because they all have the same structure. They, they all use a reduction to absurdum, you know, so the impossibility of a, a regress to infinity, which was okay during the scholastic period because nobody or at least few people would believe in the, in the consistency of the notion of infinity. But nowadays we, we, we just uh, think in, in, in the opposite way. That is, we even start, you know, when we study mathematics, you know, with the notion of infinity, right? And so a proof that uh, uh, just is based on the refusal of the notion of infinity, infinite regress, you know, wouldn't prove anything nowadays. Moreover, it's not only the existence part uh, that, uh, that is faulty, but it's especially the uniqueness part. Because uh, especially for people like the Europeans or the, 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 the Catholics who uh, believe that there is only one God, even the Islamic, for example, of course, it's a different God, you know, that's already a problem, you know, when two people say, you know, I believe in the, in the only God that exists, you know, and they think that the, the two gods are different, you know, so it's already a self-defeating uh, assertion, so to speak, uh, on their parts, right? But uh, there was no attempt uh, on uh, St. Thomas's uh, part to prove that the five gods that he actually uh, proved, so to speak, the existence of were actually the same God. So uh, there's no uniqueness. And moreover, and this is the most important thing to me uh, for uh, the Catholic faith, moreover, any of those uh, five gods would have absolutely uh, no relationship with Jesus Christ. So there, there, there's a big gap, you know, between talking about those five gods. And actually, I say five just to be uh, uh, kind to, to St. Thomas, because, for example, you know, the first, first cause, we all know that it, it all depends, you know, on the way you actually do the regress to infinity. But nobody says, you know, that if you start with an object, you know, and then you look for, for the cause of the object, and then for the cause of the cause of the cause and so on, or if you start with a different object, and you do the same thing, in the end, you will get to the same, to the same God, right? And indeed, Aristotle thought, you know, he actually computed the number, I think, uh, of possible first causes. I forgot what the number was. One was 55, he, he was not sure. He had two answers, and I think one was 47, and the other was 55, right? But, so you see, you know, it's all a mess, you know, and from the modern point of view, uh, even logically, you know, those proofs don't, uh, don't prove anything. They don't prove the existence of only one first cause. They don't prove the existence of only one God uh, defined in five different ways. They don't prove the uh, coincidence or the identity of those five gods with Jesus Christ. So it's a very shaky enterprise, right? But to me, the most interesting thing is when you take these things and reverse them upside down, as uh, Hegel uh, 
did with, uh, sorry, as, as Marx did with Hegel, right? And uh, I'm uh, referring to something that is quite new, in sense, at least, you know, in biblical uh, time, right? Uh, namely, just a few years ago, in uh, 2006, there was this uh, meeting uh, in uh, Vienna for the first centennial of uh, Gödel's birth. And uh, I remember that uh, th th there were discussions there uh, on the ontological proof uh, in the version that God, Gödel, sorry, <laughs> I was thinking of Gödel, but of course, you know, <laughs> you know, since incidentally, you know, just uh, in, in parentheses, Gödel is a strange name because it's made of two syllables, which is, one, the first one is God, and the second one is El which are two names for God in two different <laughs> languages. You put them together, you get Gödel, right? And so it's appropriate that he actually uh, discussed uh, theological things. Uh, and incidentally, Gödel was a believer. He, he had uh, a strict beliefs in, uh, in uh, not, not only in theology, but also in other parts of uh, uh, metaphysical, uh, let's call them uh, so, uh, uh, questions, right? But it's in, in any case, you know, the, the, in that meeting, 2006, there were discussions about this proof, uh, which, is, which was a logical proof, right? And you can actually rephrase uh, Gödel's proof uh, in a very simple way. Once you discover that Gödel made a mistake, so this is so wonderful, you know, because uh, with somebody like uh, Gödel, God L, you know, somebody who uh, has an almost divine proportion for, for all the logicians and probably the philosophers uh, today, right? Uh, sometimes he did make a mistake. And, uh, well, I mean, more than a mistake, this was uh, uh, an imperfection, let's call it so. Namely, he, he tried to give a, a proof of the existence of God in the uh, framework that uh, St. Anselmus, the ontological proof, uh, had given, with all the objections that uh, had been given, in particular by Descartes first and then by Leibniz, and especially since Gödel was interested in Leibniz, and uh, I, I can say a little anecdote about this, you know, which has little to do with religion, but uh, it has to do with Gödel. Uh, it was told to me by Gerald Sachs, who was a great recursion theorist who knew Gödel very well. And uh, he told me that once he was talking to Gödel about something, and Gödel quoted Leibniz. And, uh, and he also added, you know, Leibniz was the greatest philosopher of all. And then he said, uh, of course, on this point, it was wrong, right? I mean, they were discussing about something. And then Gödel stopped for a moment and he said, not only, it was always wrong. And <laughs> so, and, and so sex, uh, you know, asked me, you know, how is it possible that somebody is the greatest philosopher, you know, and he's always wrong. And apparently Gödel said, well, you know, to, to be always right, is it possible? To be sometimes right and sometimes wrong, we're all capable capable of doing this, right? But so the next best thing that you can do that you can do is to be always wrong. You know, you cannot be always right. You know, everybody can be sometimes right, sometimes wrong. You know, so if you're always wrong, you know, it's almost like being always right. Also because you know you just reverse the truth value of everything you say, you know, and you get truth, you know. But anyway, you know, just closing the uh, the parenthesis, right? Well, Gödel was trying to use uh, modal logic because Leibniz was interested in that. So he was trying to prove that not only God exists, but, it, uh, but that it necessarily exists. 
And so he devised a particular model uh, system, of a uh, formal system of model logic, and he proved, uh, he gave his proof in this uh, model system. Now, the, 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 the imperfection was that this model system collapses, actually. So uh, necessary and true, they just become the same thing. So um, there's no reason to, to use necessities or possibilities in that, in that system, since, I mean, they're just true and false, right? And so if you just dismantle all the uh, modal apparatus uh, of the Gödel's proof, you get a very simple proof of the existence of God, uh, which, is, which amounts to say that there is a certain ultra filter, right? And you, you put down axioms to say that the ultra filter uh, is, uh, does not collapse, right? So it's not trivial, right? And that there is, it's actually a principal ultra filter. So uh, the, uh, the generator of the ultra filter would actually be what, uh, what Gödel, Gödel in one sense and Leibniz on the other sense, you know, thought uh, would define God. Now, um, the interesting thing was that when uh, Harvey Friedman uh, heard of those proofs, and, uh, and so that you could prove the existence of God by using a particular ultra filter, right? Then he thought that, that as I said, you know, you could turn everything upside down. Namely, he said, well, uh, we all know that uh, if you have sufficiently strong ultra filters, then first of all, it's, it's difficult to prove that they exist, but, it, uh, but you, you can actually use the assumption of the existence of those ultra filters to prove the consistency of certain theories. In particular, there is a, a big ultra filter and you can put as an axiom the fact that that ultra filter exists and you will be able to derive the consistency of ZFC, for example, of set theory, right? Or if you wish, you know, even of bigger theories, you, you just have to, uh, to, to uh, uh, isolate the appropriate ultra filter. And so Friedman actually did the opposite. He said, if God exists, in the sense, you know, that there is a particular ultra filter that has the following properties, which is similar to the ultra filter that Gödel used in his proof of the existence of God. So if God exists, then mathematics is consistent. So that's a much more interesting thing. You're not trying to prove the existence of God, but you're trying to justify the existence of mathematical truth in sort of a theological sense. And those things I find uh, much more uh, interesting, so to speak, you know, than trying to prove or disprove, for that matter, the, uh, the existence of God. So in a sense, uh, you, you understand, you know, that my approach to, uh, to religion is not to take those things very seriously. Uh, of course, you know, uh, you, you don't disprove uh, uh, the, the faith of anybody. If somebody says, I believe, you know, there's nothing can say, you know, that, that's a psychological statement, you know. And if you believe in certain things, you know, that's good for you, right? But uh, it's, it's very, uh, I mean, I, I don't see much the purpose, so to speak, of trying to prove the existence of God, because nobody would be convinced uh, in, in any case, right? Uh, Lulus, for example, he thought that uh, that uh, he could actually uh, go to the Muslim countries, you know, and uh, and provide the proof, you know, of uh, uh, the truth of Christianity, right? And uh, a mathematical proof, right? And uh, it was a proof, a sort of a mechanical proof, you know, that he devised this, uh, a machine, you know, with, with many... Uh, 
many wills, you know, mechanical wills, you know. And then he did, he did go to uh, the Islamic countries. And of course, you know, he was decapitated there, you know, and he's, he lost his life, you know, it was not very successful. Leibniz, for example, had the same purpose. When he discovered the binary arithmetic, just based on zero and one, he thought that this was a, a very good proof of the uh, existence of God, right? Oh, sorry, of, of the way that God actually used to, uh, to produce the world. Because you start with zero, which is nothing, and you start with one, which is God, of course, and then you put them together, you know, and uh, almost miraculous, miraculously, you get uh, all the numbers, you know, in binary representation. And then what he did, you know, is, uh, was to write to the Jesuits, that lived in China, you know, the uh, missionaries, you know, and, and uh, you know, that many Jesuits were actually uh, scientists, right? In particular, uh, Ricci, who uh, was the, the, the Italian, you know, uh, who went there, you know, and he was a mathematician on one side and a theologian on the other side. But Leibniz wrote to uh, his uh, contemporaries, Jesuits, and to say, oh, you could use this, you know, to, uh, as a tool, you know, to convert the Chinese to Christianity. Now, of course, you know, first of all, there's no relation to Christianity in binary arithmetic, right? But uh, the most distressful thing for Leibniz was that the Jesuits replied, well, you know, <laughs> what you just discovered, you know, was known here since 2000 years ago, you know, because the I Ching were actually based on, uh, on binary representations, you know, of the sticks, you know, and, uh, full, uh, full sticks, you know, and, uh, and split sticks, you know. So uh, even, even Leibniz uh, did not succeed. And I don't think that we can use reason to uh, to disprove faith or reason uh, to to uh, convert atheists to religion so my attitude is uh, and I think, you know, that this was Borges uh, who said it once, you know, that religion, uh, theology, but no, uh, theology is just a branch of uh, uh, fantastic literature. Now, if you put it like that, you know, then it becomes much more interesting. And that's what I do. I read books of uh, theology as if they were uh, uh, fantastic literature books, you know, and I enjoy them. Then, of course, you know, if you tell the authors of those books, you know, that they just wrote <laughs> fantastic literature, literature, sometimes they don't take it uh, very well. For example, that's what I did with uh, Benedict the Sixteenth in my in, in the book, you know, that you quoted at the beginning, Dear Pope, you know, uh, I'm writing you. Uh, and I said, you know, in one chapter that theology was just uh, a branch of, uh, of uh, uh, fantastic literature. And of course, you know, he didn't take it uh, very well. And he actually try to fight back you know by saying well science uh, is, uh, is is the similar thing and he quoted uh, uh, a uh, he had a quotation from um, uh, uh, Monod uh, case and necessity chance and necessity in which he was saying that there uh, that there was a, a fish that uh, uh, became you know a terrestrial animal by developing legs uh, from uh, from uh, the branches that he had here, he quoted this, this page and he said, you wouldn't say, you know, that, that this is less uh, um, fantastic literature than theology, right? So, uh, so that's my attitude, you know, and I don't know whether this is of uh, any use, you know, to those who are listening to us, you know, but I'm willing, of course, you know, to answer more questions in more detail uh, if, if there are any, uh, any for me. So thank you for uh, the attention for now.
Thank you very much. So we had two presentations and of course there are many, many topics that are, have been covered. I'm just uh, uh, thinking how to proceed now. Maybe if there are specific questions to the, to the um, speakers, it we would start with that because I understand that you know, many of us would be able to give one's own presentation, but maybe this is not something we should begin with. So either a specific question to, to the one of the speakers or to both, or perhaps uh, a problem or an issue that has completely been uh, ignored so far. So I see two people that, who are, want to ask the question. So first, Ali Sadek Dagigi, please. Uh, hi, everyone. Hi, George. Long time no see. Uh, nice to meet you again. Uh, and thanks to organizer for this uh, nice, uh, uh, nice uh, program. My question it concerns your argument uh, about Tarski's undefinability of truth theorem, uh, that you uh, potentially gave it, uh, as far as I understand, you gave it in support of your argument against the existence of any form of absolute being or uh, something that uh, resembles God. Uh, don't you think that uh, such theorems in mathematics and also in physics, such as uh, uh, Tarski's undefinability of uh, truth or Godel's incompleteness theorems, or maybe Heisenberg's uh, uncertain, uncertainty principle, and things like that actually uh, shake the, the absolute ground that the physics and mathematics rely on and uh, open the gate for any form of a spiritual uh, exploration of uh, the universe or uh, actually they are in support of uh, God uh, and against any form of uh, too materialistic and too absolute uh, understanding of the universe. Could you please uh, elaborate on this uh, point? Okay, thank you. So, okay, so please, Professor Odifredi. Oh, absolutely. There are certainly people that interpret those results uh, in, in the way that Ali just said, uh, in particular, Gödel's theorem, because uh, the easiest way to express Gödel's theorem is to say that there are truths which are unprovable. And then, of course, you know, somebody says, oh, oh, you see, you know, you want to prove things, you know, you want to restrict yourself to reason, right? So the only things that you could see in mathematics would be uh, uh, things that you can prove, right? But by Gödel's theorem, you know, there are truths which are not provable, you know, so you have to transcend mathematics or they say to transcend reason, you know, and, and then, you know, what do you do? You have to get uh, into uh, spirituality or uh, even uh, religion, right? But of course, you know, this is, uh, I think, you know, that this is a misinterpretation of uh, Gödel's theorems. It's a nice way of saying them, right? But it's, uh, and it's exactly the same thing when, when, when you talk uh, about physics, for example. And uh, many uh, physicists, uh, you know, they talk about the Big Bang. And, and people think, you know, that the Big Bang is something that actually happened in space time, you know, at a certain, in, in a certain uh, point, you know, and at a certain time, you know, there was this explosion. But the Big Bang is just, is just the limit that you, that you go to, right, or towards when, when you actually uh, look at the uh, film of the uh, uh, universal history backwards, right? So uh, in, in, in the case of Gödel's theorem, uh, what, what Gödel says is that if you have a, a formal system which is consistent, then you have statements that you cannot prove and you cannot disprove. 
Now, uh, that has nothing to do with, with truth, right? Because uh, it actually avoids completely the notion of truth with good reason, because otherwise, you know, you, you, you would need the notion formally and uh, by, by Tarski's theorem, you know, you, can, you could not use it, right? So I think it's a misinterpretation of those uh, arguments to, uh, to, to use or actually even to phrase them uh, in, uh, in a way that would actually uh, become uh, a support for uh, a spiritual or a theistic uh, approach, right? But uh, on the other hand, I think that, uh, and I wanted to say this uh, before and I forgot, you know, so that's a good place uh, to say now, uh, namely the uh, negative proofs. Because usually when we discuss God, we discuss positive proofs that have been proposed to prove the existence of God, right? And people think uh, that uh, intuitively, you know, it's very difficult to prove the non-existence of something. I mean, you can prove the existence, you show it, right? But how do you prove the non-existence? But in, 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 indeed, in mathematics, this has been done for forever, you know, since uh, 2,500 years, you know, when Pythagoras, for example, uh, discovered the existence of uh, irrational numbers. And what is an irrational number? I mean, you prove, you know, that there is no rational number that uh, has a certain property, right? Then, of course, you know, you can, you can introduce those numbers as new numbers, right? The irrational numbers. But that's a negative proof. You know, there is no rational number that has a certain property. Or if you think, for example, in terms of uh, constructions by rule and compass, uh, there is no construction of an heptagon. You cannot use only rule and compass to, uh, to, to, to build a regular polygon with, uh, with seven uh, edges, right? Or, for example, you know, the, uh, when in, in the 1500s and then, of course, you know, in the, in the 1800s, uh, the fact that there, there are equations that you cannot solve using radicals. I mean, all those are negative proofs. And uh, the, 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 they are among the most interesting proofs. So I think that Tarski's proof, Gödel's proofs, and so on, uh, many of those are negative proofs, which uh, which require you know a, a more subtle, a subtler uh, interpretation, and that certainly cannot be used uh, to. Uh, to back a, a spiritualistic uh, approach. For example, in the case of the irrationals, uh, in a certain sense, people try to do that. Because uh, uh, when you think that there is an irrational number, well, then, of course, uh, you, 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 you go against, I think, the, uh, the Pythagorean uh, approach, right? Because what is an irrational number? It's just a set of approximations. But it's a metaphysical step to, to step from the approximations to something that is what those approximations approximate. So it's, a, it's introducing ideal elements and, and that's exactly what, uh, what they are called in, in algebra, for example. You, tell, you, 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 you take an ideal, right? And then you, you do the completion by ideals, right? And uh, the, the, the fact that they're called ideals should underline the fact that those are not reals, you know, in the, in, in, not in the technical sense, but in the philosophical sense. So uh, it's, it's an interesting question of uh, philosophy of mathematics, but it's a subtle question that probably can be misinterpreted uh, in the way that, uh, that, that Ali suggested. Thank you very much. And I will continue before giving floor to Ricardo. I will continue the, then the, after your answer because you know you said at the your first presentation to uh, speak to, to Professor Odifredi that you are against any metaphysics and now we have just said that you know irrationals 
are metaphysical occurrences, uh, which you believe in, I understand. So to be against all metaphysics is not possible. Do you agree? No, 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 no. We should not believe in the existence of uh, irrational. We should believe in the existence of approximations to something, right? Which, if you want to, to, to hypostatize it, then it becomes a, 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 an ideal uh, object. But otherwise, you, you can actually, you can, uh, you can do the opposite. You can deconstruct, for example, the, uh, uh, the irrational numbers. And, and that's what the definitions of Dedekind and Cantor did. I mean, be, before them, people thought, you know, uh, that, that there were rational, irrational numbers and real numbers, and they didn't know what they were, right? Uh, or complex numbers for that matter. But well, then you deconstruct them uh, very easily. The complex numbers are just pairs or real numbers, right? You don't have to think, you know, that there are numbers that if you multiply them, negative numbers, you multiply them by themselves, right? And so on. And, uh, and so I would take the opposite stand. Namely, we should not uh, make the mistake of uh, uh, rejecting metaphysics in, in certain areas and then you know, accepting them in mathematics. And, uh, and it's much better to, uh, to, to, to remember this, uh, even if, uh, unfortunately, when we teach mathematics, uh, we tend to, uh, to be metaphysical. No, no, but please, if you, so we are saying <laughs> that the no irrationals don't exist really, only there are approximations. So my question is, you have a, a square with the side one. So do you think that the length of the, of the diagonal exists or not? The length exists is the ratio then. Certainly, they both exist, you know, but you cannot measure them. Incidentally, this is an interesting thing because it's the same thing. Uh, I mean, somebody quoted uh, perhaps you, no, perhaps uh, Ali, uh, the uh, indeterminacy principle. Well, the existence of the irrational numbers, and in particular, the fact that the diagonal and, and the edge of the square are incommensurable, is exactly a, a first version, you know, of, of, the, uh, uh, of the Heisenberg principle. It just says, you know, that you cannot measure with the same uh, with the same stick, so to speak, both quantities. If you measure precisely one, you cannot measure the other. And more precisely, you want to measure the uh, uh, the edge, and, and then uh, you, you cannot do the. So, in a sense, you know, we, we have to be very careful. And indeed, you know, since we, we just hinted it with the name Heisenberg to uh, quantum mechanics, even there, you know, we have to be very careful. Because uh, the uh, the Copenhagen interpretation is a, a completely idealistic uh, uh, interpretation of uh, of quantum mechanics, to say you know that uh, <laughs> you know that there's no reality you know that uh, so in, in a sense uh, it, it's a complicated the, the philosophy of mathematics today and the philosophy of physics require a certain sophistication I think. And uh, we, we should not make mistakes, you know, that then we accuse uh, others to do or to make in, in, in different areas. So uh, both in mathematics and in physics, we have to be very careful not to, not to play games with words, so to speak, which is my definition of metaphysics in a sense. My definition of physics is a la quine, so to speak, you know, physics is the study of uh, everything there is or everything there exists. And then metaphysics, of course, by consequence, becomes, you know, the study of everything does not exist. You know? So uh, mm -hmm. we, we have to be careful. Okay, so, so to continue this, you know, you said that the physics or science now 
says that, that the reality or the world is not really what we think it is. So in some sense, it doesn't exist. So, uh, but at the same time, of course, we all believe that the world does exist. And the same to Professor Wolensky, you know, that you, you said that the question is whether God exists or not, and there are two answers, yes or no. But when we think about the question whether the world exists, then we don't really say that there are two possibilities. We say it does, it does exist or it does not exist. We just assume it exists, even though when we go a scientific uh, analysis, we continue a scientific analysis, it turns out that the idea of the world becomes very problematic and it's not clear what the world really is or can be. So we can say that from a certain scientific point of view, the world does not exist as as Professor Odifredi already really did say explicitly. So the reality with capital R does not exist. So does so like so my then my my the parallel here is that you know about God we can say okay no God because the, well, that it doesn't doesn't harm us but we when we say about the the world the reality it does not exist it becomes very problematic because how can we live in the world which clearly does exist as everybody knows and so so is this parallel illuminating or not. The question to, to both speakers. Could I just quickly say, and then, and then we'll, we'll let Ian answer because I spoke too much. But uh, in a sense, you know, uh, it, it's even more problematic than that because uh, even in mathematics, uh, we certainly believe that numbers exist, right? One, two, three. Actually, we know that we have neurons in the head, right? That uh, are able to, uh, to actually uh, compute the small numbers without counting. That is, we have a neuron that tells us, you know, that there are three things or four, and it goes more or less up to four or five, you know, and then after that is constructed, you know. So uh, when people ask, you know, whether mathematics is discovered or uh, invented, you know, we could say, well, small numbers are discovered, but, you know, big numbers are invented. But uh, certainly we can use uh, singular numbers, individual numbers or, or finite sets, right? But can we actually step from the, the natural numbers to the set of the natural numbers? Which is, of course, you know, the big problem that had Cantor at the very beginning, right? And, uh, and again, you know, we, now we know that we cannot because uh, the axiom of infinity is necessary in set theory. And it's perfectly consistent to have a, a finite model, the hereditarily finite sets that satisfy all the axioms of ZFC except for the axiom of infinity. So you have to take it for granted. So, but when you, when you take something for granted, that, that is faith, right? I mean, the, the idea of logic was, I mean, no, we, we construct mathematics without taking anything from, from granted because we all build it, you know, from logic. Then, you know, we, we would have to justify logic. But nowadays we know that at least something you have to assert, incidentally, you, you also have to assert the existence of some set, in particular, the empty set because otherwise you don't go anything, <laughs> anywhere, right? So uh, we have to, uh, to, to be very careful when, 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 we, when, when we talk about mathematics uh, from, from an ontological point of view. I mean, von Neumann had a different attitude, much more uh, realistic. You know, he said, you don't understand mathematics. You just uh, get used to it, right? <laughs> and it is the same thing, you know, when you play chess. 
I mean, you, you, don't, you don't believe in the existence of the king, right? Or, or, or of the knight, you know, I mean, there's nothing to believe in, you know, those are the rules, you play them, right? And if you like them, you know, you like them, otherwise you don't play the game. Mathematics, unfortunately, is very much like that, right? It's very similar. And uh, you, you, otherwise, if you want to do a metaphysical interpretation of mathematics, you have to take axioms and believe in at least one infinity. Then you get many. <laughs> by and I think with religion it's similar. Now, it's Professor Volensky. Professor Volensky. Now I have only one remark. It's 30 minutes of discussion, and this is not on the topic which was announced. <laughs> it's about philosophy of mathematics, physics. Ah, uh, yes. Reality of, I have nothing to do because we assume that the world exists, and assuming that the world exists, uh, we are asking about God. So I propose to return to, to, to the topic because you know, there's a lot ah, of... That's, that, that would be very interesting, yes. There's a lot okay. to say about Gedel, Tarski and so on, but it is not related to, to, to the problem which was announced to, to discuss. Okay, thank you. Now, Ricardo Silvestre. Okay, thank you, Stan. Well, uh, uh, first of all, thank you very much, uh, Professor Volensky and Professor Onifredi for, for your talk. It was very, very interesting. Uh, so I, I, have, I have a question, and I mean, attending uh, uh, Stan's uh, uh, request uh, to ask some, something about an issue which somehow was not well addressed. Uh, so I just, oh, I'm sorry for that. It's the intervention of God. God? Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> In the Which form God? of music. <laughs> Perhaps he doesn't want me to, to, to talk. <laughs> but I will talk anyway. See, uh, as far as I could see, uh, you both, perhaps, uh, uh, Odifredi, uh, uh, mainly, you, you adopt a kind of deontological approach to believe in, in the sense of, of, of Locke that one is entitled to believe just if one has strong evidence in favor of, of this belief. Uh, of course, many people had uh, uh, um, been against that, like Alvin Plantinga, for instance. But anyway, if, if I'm right on that, then uh, being an atheist, um, I mean, or, or at least being rationally an atheist uh, uh, implies that one has one, one must have good evidence, strong evidence for the existence of God. On the other hand, if you want to be a rational atheist, one has to have uh, strong evidence against the existence of God. And, and uh, mainly, Professor Odifredi, you did something that has to be done. You analyzed uh, many arguments for the existence of God, but I, I missed that as far as I could see. You didn't, you didn't bring to us uh, uh, arguments against the existence of God. And uh, again, according to this approach, unless one does that, one would not be entitled to, to, to claim rationally that God doesn't exist. And this is very important because many philosophers nowadays, they, they are, they, uh, Richard Swinburne, for instance, they, they try to, uh, because they, the whole issue is the rationality of theistic belief, right? And many, many philosophers right now, they compare both kinds of arguments. Here are the theist arguments. Here we have the atheist arguments. Let's compare them. Instead of saying that 
uh, uh, God exists, or there's a proof. I mean, we don't use this word anymore, proof. I mean, we can't prove, I mean, just in mathematics and logic, outside of that, we can't prove anything. But, but many philosophers, they, 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 philosophers, they are adopting the approach of, of, of trying to show, for instance, that, that theistic belief is more probable, say, than atheist belief, or the other way around. So, 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 but in order to do that, we have to compare the, the, the available arguments that we have for and against the existence of God. So I would like to, to hear from you two about that. Okay, thank you. That's a good question, I think, especially to Professor Wolenski, if you want to answer. No, okay, so assume that you, you are asking whether there is a mountain higher than Mount Everest and say, give me evidence. And, okay, so please measure. Ask, <laughs> ask someone who is competent to, to answer this question. Uh, uh, what now uh, uh, prove that uh, or justify that round square uh, don't exist. It is a, co a contradiction. So evidence, uh, you know, I must know which level you uh, claim to be discussed. For example, there is about one milliard a billion in US and non-believers. It is a considerable uh, number of people and it documents that uh, religion is not necessary for living, good living, uh, and so on and so on. It is a sociological argument that, that is, not answers, it doesn't answer the question whether it is probability of existing God or not. However, we, you know, we can continue. The problem for me is this. I make some meta-theoretical assumption concerning my knowledge. Ordinary people don't need to, to make them, except some particular extreme, for example, situation, just before that, in dramatic circumstances, some Jewish people lost faith because Holocaust, because uh, God traded this nation, and so on, so on. Now, according to this meta standard, I think that Pierre Giorgio shares did, me too, that source of knowledge is, uh, is uh, uh, mathematics and science, even including hu the humanities. And according to this meta-theoretical standard in, and uh, related concept of knowledge or belief, God doesn't uh, is, is, is not necessary in this framework. Hmm. And that's all. There's no problem of probability. There's no problem of such a being. Because this being uh, transcends our knowledge. So must be different reason. For example, personal 
paid personal belief. I agreed for people who, who believe uh, it is sufficient. And this finishes discussion. Now, further, you know, all concepts which are used in theology, in Christian theology, but not only, also in, uh, in Judaism or in Islam, I mean, this uh, main uh, monotheistic religion are very unclear. Creation from nothing. You know, vacuum is not nothing in physics. Empty set is not nothing. It is something. So the concept of nothing is very difficult. Then we have analogies. God is stable unchangeable, however, he acts, he creates something. It is, of course, another meaning of the word creates than in ordinary life. And if I limit my, 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 my conceptual resources to science or ordinary life, I don't need the God. So it's not a problem of probability or, or something like that. Simply it is another perspective which is not unique, which is shared by millions of, of, of people. Uh, and if you uh, and you if you discuss problems with theologians. I did several times, I mean, Christian theologians, and explain me what is the relation between free will and uh, properties of God. I can demonstrate, argue that properties of Catholic God or Christian God in general exclude free will. Not again, very popular and renowned uh, uh, theologian priest Joseph Kishner told me you are right, but you must believe in it. <laughs> it's the end of discussion because it is not my language. I respect his view and the view of uh, anybody who argues in, in this, that, uh, but it is not this language. The same is in other cases, the problem of atheism. Unending discussions whether God is consistent with evil or not. For me, for example, the problem is not existence of evil because I can imagine theology which justifies uh, evil and the existence of God, even Christian. However, for me, is a problem of distribution of evil. It is completely not. Uh, consistent with any human uh, uh, picture of uh, or, or, or idea of morality. Well, Holocaust, uh, take uh, what happened in Cambodia, what happened in uh, uh, the murdering of Gallic people by hero, ancient hero, uh, uh, Caesar, and so on, so on. So many awful natural 
explanation is okay, but if I, if I uh, hear that I'm, I'm listening to okay, God's, God knows why evil is so distributed and not in another way. I cannot agree with this. However, I understand that if someone tell me, well, God knows better than you. You are not competent to evaluate or assess God's decision. Okay, it is your, your position, not mine. I believe what I can understand. This is my slogan. Okay, thank you. So uh, we have one more question and the speakers will have the possibility of answering it. And that will probably be the time for to finish because some people have left already. Uh, Joseph Frankel has has the floor. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm wondering about the uh, claim that God is infinite. Since infinity is infinite, how can God reach infinity? Wherever he reaches, there's always one more step to go. Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe Professor Di Freddy would answer the question about actual infinity. Well, yeah, I just wrote last year during the lockdown a book on infinity. <laughs> so in a sense, you know, I'm prepared. But the question is this, you know, that uh, when Cantor discovered that there were many infinities, that is, uh, once you have one, you know, and then you do exponentiation to, to the, uh, that infinity, you get a, something bigger, right? He actually went to the uh, Holy Office in, uh, in Rome because he, he was not Catholic, but he was Christian, uh, despite the name, which would, uh, you know, make one guess that he, he was uh, of, of Jewish ascent. But, uh, but he was raised Christian, uh, Protestant. So he went to the, Holy, uh, to the Holy Office and asked the, the cardinal, who was, a, who was a, a German cardinal, incidentally, as, as often, you know, in, in that place. It was called Franzeling, right? And he went there, you know, and explained to him, you know, said, look, you know, uh, your, your eminence, you know, I, I discovered that there are many infinities, you know, how does that agree, you know, with Christian faith, you know, I wouldn't like to be a heretical, right? And uh, they, they took two years, I think, the Dominicans, you know, that the Dominicans were the ones who actually lit the match <laughs> with, with, you know, for the fire, you know, the uh, Inquisition, you know. So they, they studied the, uh, the, the, the set theory, counter set theory. And then he, he was uh, summoned back to the Holy Office and they asked him, say, okay, so you say that first of all, there are the natural numbers, right? Zero, one, two, and so on, right? Yes. Then after that, there's the first infinity, right? There's an omega, then there's omega plus one and so on, right? And then, and then, and then, then. And he said, yes. He said, but, but in the end, you know, what is there in the end? Cantor said, "There's nothing in the end because you know that that's uh, incoherent. You know, it's a it's a multitude, as as he would call them. You know, that is that is contradictory, self-contradictory." And they said, "Ha ha, that is God." You know, so you should call that infinite. And the other ones, you shouldn't. You know, confuse people. You know, you should call them transfinite. We call them cardinals nowadays, you know, so in a sense, you know, it's even better for them, you know, but uh, so they're transfinite. So forth in theology, I think that the idea is that God is identified with absolute infinity, which for mathematicians is incoherent. So it's not rational. 
So there's no way to prove the existence of something in, in, irrationally in, in any sense of proof, you know, because proof has to be uh, to, to do with, with, with rationality. So in a certain sense, you know, this is a very good divide between mathematics, you know, which you have all, all sorts of infinities, which are relative infinities, you, you may call them. But then you have an absolute infinity, which for mathematics is outside their realms, and, uh, and it is the subject of theology. So we, we're all uh, happy with that, right? So you, we have reason, you know, you have faith, you know. The, the, the only trouble comes when you want to put the two things together, reason and faith as in the encyclica of uh, John Paul II, right? If you want to put them together, then you get into trouble. But if you just say, okay, you know, I had my faith, you know, is against rationality or it cannot be irrational at least, you know, then it's okay, you know, we wouldn't bother with them, you know, they don't bother with us. <laughs> so we're all happy, you know, unless the trouble is when you want to, to do the two things together. But I just wanted to add one thing, if I can, you know, because uh, apropos of the existence, you know, uh, and deconstructing the thing, you know, I don't stop just uh, 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 as, you, as you saw, you know, uh, at theology, right? Uh, but even in mathematics, for example, I, I, I'm not very sure that Pythagoras ever existed. I mean, if you read Pythagoras' lives, the only ones we have, there are three, you know, which were written 800 years after his supposed existence, right? And if you read them, you know, they look like gospels, you know, there are all sorts of, of miracles, you know, of strange things, you know, for example, one says, you know, Jumblik, one says, you know, oh, one of the students of Pythagoras actually witnessed that in the morning, you know, when Pythagoras went to the river to bathe, Right. He heard the student, you know, he heard the river saying to Pythagoras, hello, Pythagoras in the morning. You know, I mean, when I read these things, you know, of course, I don't believe them. You know, that has nothing to do, you know, with, with believing in Pythagoras theorem, you know, uh, independently of the fact that he was the one, you know, proved it first or so on. You know, you can certainly be Pythagorean without Pythagoras. And that's what I usually say to Christians, you know, you can be Christians without Christ, because when I read the Gospels, you know, they don't look very different to me from Pythagoras' life, you know. You know, again, you know, it's a mythological thing, you know, that there can be a religion uh, that, that is based on, uh, on nothing, or at least, you know, on somebody which is very different from what the Gospels tell, right, with all the miracles. And incidentally, I talk about this, you know, with, with, with Benedict the Sixteenth, you know, and I told him, well, all those miracles, you know, if, if you if you want to convince a rational person, you know, of something, you know, that involves miracles, you know, then you, you, you're going to have a difficult life, right? And he said, oh, I don't think, you know, the, the miracles are distractions, you told me. And indeed, you know, in his books about Jesus, he said, I never talk about miracles, except for one, I mean, it's, a, something, it's an axiom, you know, namely the resurrection of Jesus. You know, that's the main thing, you know, but everything else, you know, it's a distraction and it becomes, you know, more uh, fantastic literature than, uh, so for them, or, or at least for the high level theologians, uh, religion is a very different thing. And that's why, you know, in a sense, you know, you can even talk to an atheist and have, a lot of, of agreement. Take, for example, the beginning of uh, St. John's uh, Gospel. In the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was with, uh, near to God, and God was, uh, was, was whatever, right? So the identification, you know, of, and then the incarnation of the Word, you know, uh, uh, the, the language that becomes meat, you know, or flesh, you know. 
Well, that's exactly what uh, what we do, you know. Again, you know, in in uh, in physics, you know, at the beginning, you know, what is there? You know, there is. Uh, I mean, there is just the universe, right? And uh, I mean, we talk about it, right? And we we think, you know, you, you know, the word in, in in Greek logos means not only language, you know, but also rationality, ratios, right? And uh, I mean, all scientists would actually believe that the world is world, the universe is rational, because if you don't believe that the world is rational, you know well, what do you do? I mean, the, the, the scientific laws are expressions of this rationality, and they even believe, you know, that there is a rational, you know, with the, maybe you know the capital R, you know, metaphysical, you know, that transcends our rationality, which is what we can put in our you know limited head, right? And so, and so what? I mean, so that's exactly, you know, it's a translation of the interpretation of uh, the gospel of St. John, the beginning at least, you know, and it's perfectly compatible with, uh, with the scientific approach. That is why at the beginning, you know, I said, if somebody tells me, you believe in God, and I ask, you know, what, what is God? And he says, oh, it's the ratio, uh, I mean, the rationality that inspires the universe. I would call it differently, right? I would call it the, the laws of physics, right? But except for that, you know, I mean, we can certainly agree, right? But that has nothing to do with the, with the religion that the, the, of the mass, for example, or, uh, or, or the temples or the synagogues and so on. Okay, thank you very much. Jan Wolenski's a few final words. Maybe anecdote. Uh, Tarski was very interested in interested in Catholic hierarchy, he was speaking about discussing about bishops, archbishops, cardinals, and Naster <laughs> told him uh, that Alfred, you will write a book on cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> and when he <clears throat> published his book <clears throat> or uh, cardinal algebras, Naster sent him a telegram to. U.S. because it was after war. Alfred, I told you. <laughs> this is a story. This is a story. However, you know, it is very risky to apply set theory to theology. Cantor was, a, he, he, he used this naive set theory. However, there is no problem now with speaking about collections of truths if we introduce uh, von Neumann Bernays set theory, set of models, set, set of truths are classes, not sets. Of course, the problem is that they are still undefined, undefinable in even this richer set theory. Moreover, we had many set theories, uh, whether we adopt axiom of choice, of Martin axioms, or of ax uh, and so on, so on. So uh, once again, uh, Cantor had several religious intuitions with his absolute of sets. However, it was related to uh, to very uh, to, 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 to naive intuitions. There is a book about uh, exchange of letters between Cantor and uh, cardinals. Yes, because this problem, as uh, Freddy said, was discussed. However, I am against such uh, analogies. 
you know, I, I, I have discussion very frequently with Michael Heller, who is priest, a very competent person in philosophy of science, physics, mathematics. He believes that there is a uh, intersection, rational intersection between theology, uh, not religion, theology and science. And I, I discuss and I say, no. No, it, it is not, it is not, no, it is no reason to blame science for it. And also there's no reason to blame theology. And uh, one, last maybe sentence, I have a doctor student, she is now a professor, who once me said I am a Jewish atheist. So I asked, why? Because atheist is a general point. Oh, no, because it is important in which God you don't believe. That's certainly the state yes that's right and i think you know that after all we can we can still agree all of us that both in mathematics and in science and in our lives which means also in our religions or non-religious attitudes we have to combine rationality with some sort of faith believing yeah. in the existence of the world or in the regularities of the universe or in the possibilities of scientific explanations, etc. So some sort of assumptions which are really not provable are needed after all. And in this sense, we are all, uh, you know, we all have to continue both the rationalistic as we as scientists and logicians and uh, uh, the other traditions. So I think we have to finish at this moment. It's been almost two hours anyway. Thank you very much, the speakers. Thank you very much for, for participation. And I understand that the next meeting will take place in, in November sometime, sometime. And it is on our logic and religion list on the, on the general website so we can we can meet again thank you very yes, much just just say that the next uh, session november 18 and it will be with the mathematician laura fox so i think it will be a nice continuation of the discussion of today thanks to everybody <laughs>